Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to this new episode of the Triple Play Podcast. I'm your host, White Street, and I'm joined, as always, by my great co-hosts. Guys, introduce yourselves. Josh, reluctantly happy Strickland. Bradley, still not having to be a Pirates fan, but feeling a little <laughs> bit better, Kendall. Let me amend mine. I'm Wyatt, desperately sad Street. <laughs> How are you desperately sad? I don't know, man. Wow. It's... It's a tough time being a Reds fan. How are you desperate to be sad, though? I don't understand that. No, I'm desperate and sad. Oh, okay. That was the most depressing yeah. start to it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Going to be thoroughly and thoroughly interested in what we have to say from here on out. So we've got a great show in store for you today, guys. Uh- <laughs> it's going to be a happy show. Happy show. <laughs> Nothing. Hey, man, it wouldn't be playoff season without some sad faces, right? Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, only one team can truly be happy at the end of this debatable i'm that's the beauty i'm pretty happy right now i don't know so yeah save it josh (laughs) we'll get there i really wish i could have been in that apartment for that series i really really do but i'm kind of glad i was here to kind of hear it vicariously through (laughs) y'all yeah (laughs) i think it's a good thing i was at work for most of it i'm not gonna lie i watched the whole thing yeah (laughs) and i hated it Josh, how painful was it to sit through 13 innings? Oh, it was terrible. Oh, my gosh. Well, first off, great game. But after, like, the 10th inning of 0-0, you're just kind of like, okay, come on. Someone. Just anyone. (laughs) Literally in the 13th inning, I was just sitting there. I was like, okay, please, just anyone score anything. Just something happened. Like, please. (laughs) But uh, it was a good time. I enjoyed it. Yes. It's hard to believe that a team that scored 29 runs in a game this year literally could not get a run across. And it felt like one of those soccer games where it's 0-0 and, like, double extra time and no one's putting anything in. And it's like, oh, I could just watch the last minute of the game and probably know exactly how the rest of the game went. It's pretty much yeah. how it went, yeah. But it's, but it's like one of those soccer games where it's like, it's nothing-nothing, but both goalkeepers are just balling out. It's not because of a lack of shots. Because, like, the pitchers, it was just a pitching duel. And, and that's what you see in the playoffs yeah. sometimes, especially – you know, a lot of pressure on. If you get, you know, one or two bad days, you start to really feel that pressure. And I think the Braves and Reds both, you know, wanting to get off to a good start in a wild card series like that, um, definitely it just was kind of contagious, I guess. And, I mean, the pitching itself, I mean, you're going against the number one guys in all these series, so it's going to be – it's obviously going to be difficult. I mean, just every every pitcher in that series, I mean, uh, Castillo still had a really good game, too. I mean, at the end of the day, I know we're not talking about this yet. I know why it's got, like, the 30-minute rant ready. But, like, uh, I mean, the Reds starting pitching. Actually, starting pitching, period, in these two games only gave up one earned run. Like, period. And that's insane to think about. So, I mean, it was a, it was an entertaining series if you like pitching duels. But I, uh, after seeing the Braves put up, like, historic numbers for a 60-game season, uh, I, I was not ready for that. I, I personally would have loved it so much more if I were a neutral fan because y'all know I love me some good pitching and a good pitcher's duel. But goodness, as a, as a fan of one of the teams, it was kind of painful just because I'm like, guys, can we do something? And I guess the only bright spot in this entire playoff series for you, why was I think Trevor Bauer legitimized himself as a Cy Young winner. I guess that's one of the only good things you can look back on this series and say the pitching was fantastic. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at the the presumptive Cy Young in the National League in Bauer and that game he had versus the presumptive Cy Young in, in the American League and, and Shane Bieber with his triple crown and the rough game one he had. So, I mean, 
Bowers earned himself some money with that start in this season, but that start definitely was that cherry on top. When he goes into contract negotiations this offseason, he's getting paid, and deservedly so. And, it, and it's funny, someone on Twitter asked him if he would consider going to the Astros after all of yeah. this, and he said, I'm going to consider all offers. You know someone's going to be willing to pay that, man. Oh, yeah, and if I'm the Reds, which the Reds already said they want to exhaust every option they can to keep him, which they should. And if I'm the Reds, I give him literally whatever he wants, as much as you can afford. <sighs> you cannot afford to lose that guy after this year. You just can't. And uh, as a Braves fan, I'm just thinking of the of our rotation, the quick turnaround our rotation would have if we got Trevor, Trevor Bauer. Woo! <laughs> the quick turnaround on that. Well, knowing Braves... <laughs> Knowing Braves pitching, he'll probably get injured within a All right. We, we don't have to. Oof. We don't have to do Oof. that. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's get this show back on track. <laughs> uh, we do have to recap the wild card series. So, real quick, uh, here's your results. The Rays took out the Blue Jays. The Yankees beat the Indians. The Astros beat the Twins, who lost their 18th straight postseason game. A record for not just Major League Baseball, but for each of the four pro major American sports. Good luck, Twins. Uh, the A's got past the White Sox. The Dodgers took out the Brewers in dominating fashion. The Padres outlasted the Cardinals in an amazing three-game series. The Marlins continue their magic. They beat the Cubs. That is seven world. Uh, that is seven postseason series they've played in franchise history and seven postseason series that they've won in franchise history. A little tidbit there. And as you've probably gathered from our back and forth, uh, the Braves beat the Reds. So, guys, we know what our divisional series matchups are. We'll get into that later. But first, looking back on the wild card series, which of these series outcomes would you say was the most surprising to you? And let's start with you, Josh. Uh, probably the most surprising to me, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil my own stuff. Both of these are going to be in the AL. Uh, what surprising me was how... Uh, how the Yankees came out. I know the Yankees were uh, they ha- they were hot towards the end of the year, but th- that game one against Shane Bieber just absolutely shellacking him in game one. That that to me was just off putting for some like like I, Shane Bieber. He's the triple crown winner. He's been dominating every single team he played this year, and he gave up well, like thirteen runs or something like that. No, seven runs. My bad. But he gave up like seven runs, and it was just not a contest pretty much throughout the whole game one uh, as the Yankees just kept piling it on, piling it on. And then game two was a much closer affair. But uh, the Yankees really surprised me uh, here in this first round because I was expecting them to kind of start out a little slow. Uh, they had that hot, hot that hot streak towards the end. But as you know, you're facing the, Cy Young, the potential Cy Young winner and you're facing a very strong Indians team. And I was just very shocked how in game one they were just very subdued. They didn't really do much. And then game two... Game two was a all was a really great game, by the way. If you guys saw game two, game two was a really fun game to watch. It was ten nine. Uh, Yankees scored two runs in the top of the ninth to get that get that win. Chapman got the save and all that. Uh, it was a really good game, but I was disappointed. I, I was just extremely surprised by the Yankees. I think yeah, I think knowing that we all picked the Indians, I mean, I think most of us agreed the Indians series. It was going to be great, and it was a, a big powerhouse matchup that first game. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that Bieber was as bad as he was. I mean, obviously, we knew Cole was going to come to play. We knew the Yankees could turn it on. But to turn it on that quickly on a guy that had been so dominant throughout the entire course of the year, 
I, that turned a lot of heads to me, and I don't think that diminished anything that Bieber did, but that definitely was eye-opening for sure. Um, honestly, to me, the one that kind of flew under the radar and it's you know going to gain a lot more traction if this team continues to play the way they have is the Astros. I don't think anyone really considered the Astros to be much of a threat at all, especially against the red-hot Twins team that, as we said, was dominant at home. The Astros literally were like 9-23 and on the road, and the Twins were 24-7 and at home. So I think... Going into this, I didn't even really consider the Astros to be a threat in this series, let alone the playoffs. And with the you know lack of pitching we've seen they've had, and they, obviously they've got Granky and they've got a couple good guys in the bullpen, but um, still limited with injuries, made very light work of the Twins. And that's that's a team right there in Minnesota that a lot of us were expecting you know, they'll probably at least get past this first round, if not make a run. Uh, later on because they had a lot going for them but a team that really just lost a lot with Josh Donaldson uh, you saw they were really missing him and I think this this Astros team is not only playing pissed off but they're playing with a mission and it's even a losing record this season uh, is now a legitimate threat against the team in the A's that they've seen a lot this year so um, I was very surprised the Astros came out the way they did and how they handled um, all the distractions this entire year to culminate with this kind of series win you got, I mean, you got to tip your cap no matter how you view their situation. Yeah, and um, I think I'm going to echo your sentiments there, Bradley, because I think that's the one I'm going to pick. I kind of have two. I have a good one and a bad one. This I'm going to start with the bad one because, like, I'm very um, surprised with the way the Indians, like, played like you guys are, but I think that one I would save as more of a disappointment. As uh, And I think, for me, it's, it's the Astros – beating the Twins, because I didn't really give the Astros much of a chance. I figured this year, like you said, the Twins would at least get over a hump. Not the hump, but a hump, you know. I was like, they're not playing the Yankees. They're getting a very down Astros team that hasn't really really been able to get much going this year. And then all of a sudden, the Astros just make real light work of them, and they make it look easy. And I know it's the Twins in the playoffs. We find out 18 straight games they've lost in the playoffs, all that good stuff. you know, after the fact, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, this is this team is cursed. But at the same time, it's like, like you mentioned, Bradley, this team, regardless of why they're in this boat, uh, they've got something to prove. They kind of want to prove to everybody, like, okay, yeah, you caught us, but like, we didn't need to do it. We can still beat you without it. And that they kind of have this mindset of just kind of like shutting up all the haters, which is. I guess justified, but at the same time, you have haters because you cheated. So, I just, it's like Carlos Correa's comments. He was like, oh, well, what are they going to say now? We, you know, we beat the Twins in Minnesota. It's like, I love all the people on Twitter saying like, you know what they're going to say, Carlos? They're going to say you still cheated and that series is tainted, but okay, buddy, go off. But, yeah, I just I expected more out of the Twins and less out of the Astros, and that series really really surprised me in both accounts. But in a happy surprise, I'm surprised by how well the Marlins did against the Cubs because I just figured this was going to be where that glass slipper falls off for them, and the Marlins just continue to be playoff Marlins. I, th- you know, I think it's safe to say they're winning the World Series now. <laughs> I, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not ready to go that <laughs> far yet. <laughs> Uh, they did have Josh. All I'm saying is history tells us. Oh the no! Marlins in the playoffs I'm, get the job done. <laughs> I am even more prepared for heartbreak. But uh, I mean, the Marlins they overpowered the Cubs, which is very surprising. I mean, you Darvish in Game Two, he pitched to his heart. He pitched as well as he could possibly pitch, and they still he still gave up uh, two runs. I'm pretty sure. 
Um, so uh, it, the the Cubs, the bats were nothing was happening for the Cubs there. They had a overall 145 batting average, 16 strikeouts for the whole series, which. I mean, the Braves broke that in one game, but whatever. Um, but the Cubs only had nine hits total in this two-game series, and that's just not going to win you a playoff game, especially when the Marlins are raking like they did in that game. Uh, the Marlins had three home runs total, which that pretty much was what decided it. I mean, the Marlins, their pitching was pretty solid. They surprised, The pitching surprised me. I mean, they, they're they very similar to the Braves where they have, a, they have young guys with really good stuff, but you're really not sure how they're going to – perform in the playoffs because of how young they are. So, uh, yeah, the Marlins, very surprising that they held up so well. And you can even argue, too, the Padres were surprising. I know we expected them to come out and the bats to be there, but I was surprised their pitching staff held up. I know I referenced this last week. We talked about the injuries that they had piling up. The, the Padres were the only team, you could say, in the playoffs that was down to their fourth starter. Uh, in a must-win situation. So you talk about all hands on deck. I mean, we saw multiple series where there were guys, you know, eight, nine deep in the pen uh, all coming in to get some work in. And it really was all hands on deck for the entire team. And uh, for a team that, you know, was young, that had so much going for them, seemed like the air was kind of let out of the balloon when they lost that first game. And you're like, oh, gosh, here we go. Like, Cardinals just going to do what Cardinals do and end up moving on. And poor Padres had a, a great season, but it comes crashing down now. And, I mean, they really stepped it up. You got you got to give them a lot of credit, especially in yeah, that, and especially in Game Three. Uh, game Three, yes. the Padres had nine different pitchers pitch in Game Three alone. That is insane. They basically had a new pitcher every single inning because I mean, what else are you going to do in that situation? And winning that series was huge because now they have a chance of getting Clevenger back. They have a chance. Uh, they have a chance for some of those injured guys to come back a little bit after some more rest. So, I mean, that was a big series win for them. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, Josh, because I was going to bring that up too, the, the nine pitchers in nine innings, I, you know, we, we talk about like, oh, it's going to be Johnny Allstaff today, but still when they, when they say that, you expect still at least three, four innings out of a starter. But no, that, they basically like nine pitchers is a, is a lot in – you know they they came together and they got they scrapped together those wins and that's what you got to do in the postseason. Now that job gets tougher against the Dodgers team, but that gives them a lot of fire, especially with the potential of Clevenger coming back, with the potential of maybe Lamette coming back. You know these guys now have this fire lit underneath them after a series like that. They have all this. Uh, motivation um, to just kind of go out and prove everybody wrong and to, to show that they can do this without those guys, how dangerous are they really going to be once these guys come back? Even just one of them, say Clevenger, and, and Lamette stays out, even just Clevenger comes back. Like That team gets so much more dangerous, and I know they're really going to need everything they can get against the Dodgers team, but still, that's that Dodgers-Padres series is one to watch because I think that's going to be amazing baseball. And obviously, we'll get into that later, but uh, just a preview there. Like, I am so excited for that series. But now, it's time to move on uh, to another topic in the World Series, or the World, uh, Wild Card Series recap. Our most disappointing performance. Uh, Bradley, start with you. Who are you most disappointed in? This is going to be one that's a little unpopular. I don't think a lot of people really gave this team a lot of, uh, of chance in this series, but the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'll give you a couple reasons why. The first being... And, and this may have been something that they had just discussed prior to the series beginning and thinking, well, usually it's just typical for a team to start their number one starter in the first game and then get off to a good start. 
you know, but if you lose, you're left with the number two guy. And I think the pot, the Blue Jays might have been trying to do something a little unconventional because they started um, their third or fourth starter, I believe, in the first game and then went with Ryu in game two, which I thought was a little interesting because Ryu, like we've talked about, you know, Cy Young candidate has a tremendous year. Um, you know, going against Blake Snell, you thought, okay, if they can scrap that out and get off to a one nothing serious lead, that's awesome. Um but to bring in a third or fourth starter and then hope that they win that first game, uh, which they did not, and then put all the pressure on Ryu for game two, I thought it was a little odd. And he ended up getting rocked for like seven runs, eight hits, and like an inning a third. Um, and just did not show any sort of life at all on that entire team against a, a really good race team. But it was one of the only divisional matchups in the playoffs. And I thought that might have at least made it a little more interesting because they've seen each other before. But... I was very disappointed with what I saw to the Blue Jays, especially with the, just the decision-making in general. I thought it was a little strange. I would have absolutely started Ryu game one because you really give yourself no hope against Blake Snell at that point. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was a little odd, and not to say they got what they deserved, but I think it kind of worked out like that. So, uh, Brad, I mean, you say that, but Blake Snell actually pitched pretty well. I mean, he pitched five two-thirds innings with no earned runs, nine strikeouts, only gave up one hit. Uh, really, the disappointment for the Blue Jays came in the batting department, which, I mean, nobody really expected them to do. Uh, I'm stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're ta- I'm talking about the Rays. <laughs> You're talking about uh, Sh- Robbie Ray pitching for the Blue Jays? Uh, no, I'm trying to look up who their game one starter is. I can't. Because I mean, you said Blake Snell, and that threw me off. <laughs> but, uh... You, no, no, no. They, they, they were facing Blake Snell in the Yeah, Robbie game. Ray pitched. So you're thinking... Oh. Robbie Ray started... I'm, think no matt shoemaker started so matt shoemaker started shoemaker you can see how much research we did beforehand here uh (laughs) uh, matt shoemaker he's sorry three innings pitch yeah that wasn't great i was looking at blake snell stats i was like what the hell what what is bradley talking about but uh (laughs) yeah no shoemaker started game one and he's coming off an injury i think this year hadn't pitched much it was an odd decision and i know they've got a couple other guys that have been injured all year but it was just strange. Like, I did not expect that. And you, you almost were like, okay, now you've already basically given up on game one. Shoot, Ryu better pitch lights out, and he didn't. So, like, what happened? Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah the, that's... the Blue Jays' bats also just didn't didn't work very well. Uh, they, they just didn't do anything in game one. They scored, like, one run in the eighth inning in game one, and then they scored two in game two, but they were a little – they were after a six-run a six inning – six runs second inning for the Rays and they're already down seven runs so yeah I mean Toronto I mean it's kind of what we expected from Toronto we knew we knew that they are they're an eight seed in this weird playoff format that we have and I wasn't really expecting much of them but uh yeah the pitching the pitching decision was weird because usually you want to set your tone with your starting pitcher but uh yeah yeah a very uh questionable decision for sure um, and that's one of those decisions, like, if it works, you look back and you go, the manager's a genius, but it didn't work, so we're looking back and saying, what the hell was he thinking? But Exactly, and again, like, you know, we, we knew the bats were, obviously, you know, they had been hot all year, and it seemed like they were doing decently well over the last couple weeks, and then, of course, they, they completely shut down, so you weren't expecting much out of the Blue Jays, but I'm sure that, that didn't really make it any easier. No, you definitely already found yourself in a very tough hole to climb out of, and then you put yourself in a situation where if Schumacher or Maker doesn't do his 
doesn't get the job done against an ace caliber pitcher in game one, which is a tall ask in of itself, then you put yourself behind the eight ball where you now have to win two before they win one. And yeah, you feel pretty good. You know, you feel better than most teams would in the situation having a guy like Ryu on the mound, but you put too much pressure on him. And not to say that Ryu can't handle pressure like that, because I do think he's capable of it. Clearly, we saw him do a lot of great things when he pitched in the playoffs for the Dodgers while he was there in his tenure. But that's still a lot to put on one guy, regardless of who it is. And you don't really want to put yourself in that kind of situation. Now, it sets you up perfectly if you win game one, but that's a very tough hole to climb out of if you lose game one like they did. And we know hindsight's twenty twenty, but still. It's not the kind of decision I would have made, nor the kind of decision I think most people would have made. So uh, I'll move on to my disappointment. Uh, so we already touched on this. You guys talked about the Astros. My disappointment is the Twins. I'm very disappointed in how the Twins did, mostly because of that postseason losing streak. My goodness. I, I just can't imagine, like... The Braves haven't won a playoff series until this past week in 20 years or something like that. And, like, that sucked. But at least we won games, you know? At least the Braves won some games. The Twins have gone 18 straight postseason games without winning. And uh, and it's not... And I'm looking at the games. It's not even like Zach Greinke pitched... I mean, he pitched fine, but he only pitched four innings. So he only had to deal with four innings of Zach Greinke. I feel like that's not that bad. I feel like you got off pretty well on that, but they only scored one run in both games. They only scored two runs overall. They had a terrible and abysmal 119 average for the whole series, which that is awful. And you're, we're talking about we're talking about like the third third place in the AL with home runs and runs and all that. Like this is a high powered offense, and losing Josh Donaldson, of course, is a big deal, but. I mean, Josh Donaldson didn't really play that much in the regular season anyways because he was hurt during most of the regular season as well. So uh, you would think they would be kind of used to that. But uh, just an abysmal, abysmal games by the Twins batting. And, uh, I mean, their pitching didn't even do that bad. I mean, game one was like 1-1 for the long – it was like 1-0 Twins for the longest time. Then the Astros finally get a run, and then the Twins walk in the – the game-winning run, pretty much, in, like, the seventh inning. That happened in game one. And then game two, uh, I think it was pretty much the same way where it was kind of – it was um, 1-1 for the longest time, and then the Astros finally squeak in another run. And like, So it's not like the Twins pitching did, any, did anything wrong, but it was definitely the Twins batting that kind of disappointed me. And you look at the matchup that they had. I mean, I think we can all agree, relative to the rest of the American League, the Twins had it pretty easy facing the uh, Astros as a sixth seed. I mean, yeah. they avoided – Chicago. They avoided um, playing the Yankees. They avoided the Indians. They won the best division, probably arguably in baseball. And what do you do? You go on literally you, do nothing. You lay so, an egg against the Astros. <laughs> yeah, you talk about wasting an opportunity right there. I mean, that that that's just a shake your head moment. And it just you're and it's set up perfectly for you too. You're at home. You avoid all those big juggernauts, like you mentioned, Bradley. You somehow get the sixth seed, which somehow happens to be, based on this format, the lone losing record team. Like, it's set up perfectly for you. You've got a high-powered offense. You're at home, and you know they already mash there. And they lay an egg. It just doesn't make any sense when you really break it down. But the Twins are cursed in the playoffs, apparently. And like I said, it's not like they face world beaters at pitching. Like, Zach Greinke only pitched four innings. 
Then they face the bullpen, which I, I don't I haven't been keeping up with the Astros bullpen, but I'm I haven't heard anything good out of that. But uh, I mean they gave uh, Framber Valdez for the Astros pitched the rest of the game five innings as a reliever, which is impressive on his part. But uh, yeah, I mean they weren't facing any world beaters after Zach Greinke, so it's just a it's just a disappointing series all around for the Twins. And can we argue based on what we've just seen and what we just discussed that? having a good bullpen might be like the secret to winning in the playoffs now. Cause I mean, you, like you said, we had teams that were going all the way down the roster at every single guy in the bullpen. I mean, is it arguable that like teams like the Rays that start guys in their bullpen might have a higher chance to win? I've been on this pitching train. I'm so glad you brought this up, Bradley. I've been on the pitching train for years. I've always said pitching depth is one of the biggest and most important factors in the postseason. And especially this year, with this lengthier playoff, with this um, playoff system that we have where, like, based on the way it's set up, you don't have off days except for between series and then once you get to the World Series. So once your series starts, you were playing, you know, in the, in the wild card, it was two or three straight days. And now we get to the divisional round. You're going to be playing three to five straight days, depending on how long your series goes. And then if you advance to the CS, it is four to seven straight days, depending on how long your series goes. You're going to talk about guys getting tired, starters who might not normally, because you can't really rely on that three-man rotation you might normally roll with in a playoff now, whereas now you might have to roll with your full four- or five-man guy uh, rotation there. And the bullpen depth becomes ever more important now because guys don't get that rest day for travel anymore. Like, it, you just kind of have to throw guys out there. And then I, the pitching depth becomes uber, uber important, and it could be like, I, I think this year more than ever, like the team with the most pitching depth, a team like a Rays, that could be the factor that decides the World Series. Yeah, Wyatt's correct. I agree with Wyatt on that one. I mean, with usually in the playoffs, like starters dictate everything because usually, if you have to have a, if you have to have your number one starter back in for Game Four or Five, he can do that. In this, you can't. I mean, you could, but it wouldn't be that beneficial in my opinion so the bullpen this year especially the bullpens are extremely important and that's exactly why we look at a a series like we'll we'll get into this in a minute but a series like the Padres and Dodgers where we talk about the Padres needing to get back these starters well that that that's for two reasons a because they're they're the top two starters they have in their in their system but b because that puts that much more pressure on the bullpen if they're not there so you're right why like pitching is everything I mean you you got to have batting but as we've seen, you can have two hits and score one run in the 13th and still win. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I would expand on that more right now with that Padre series, but I, I will save it for when we get there. Um, but but for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, go to my disappointing performance. Uh, Josh touched on the rant. It's it's do coming. I, so do, do I need to go get my popcorn now or? Uh, yeah, go ahead and put it in the microwave. It, okay. it, it should be ready. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I'm actually going to, I'm, I'm, you know, I say rant loosely. I'm not going to get too heated because I've already gotten most of that out of my system by this point. But I'm still pretty upset. It, my disappointment uh, is with the Reds. And it's not in that they lost because they went up against a very good, uh, solid Braves team. I mean, clearly the number two seed in, in, the, um, in, in the NL4 reason. All right. It's not that they lost, especially because, like, there's a lot of new faces this year. The Reds had a slow start, whatever. Like, this is a team that's really still getting their final few pieces together. They're still a couple years away from true, like, 
contention in my opinion, but the, the foundation has been laid. Getting into the playoffs, I think, made this a successful season as a Reds fan. The fact is not, I'm not disappointed in the fact that we lost. It is how they lost. And I know we've touched on, like, you know, the, the pitcher's duels that we saw. And the pitching staff for me, for the Reds, did everything that they could. Did everything that they were supposed to. Bauer goes out and throws an absolute gem in game one, proving why he's the Cy Young in the NL this year. And then uh, you follow it up in game two with Luis Castillo, goes out, he throws his heart out, only gives up one run. He goes like, what, six innings, I think it was, something like that, roughly. He did his job as a starting pitcher, okay? He did everything that the starter is supposed to. Go out there, pitch as deep into the ballgame as you can, and then um, keep your team in the ballgame, which by the time he came out of the ballgame, it's one nothing. You're very much in it. The issue for me is that offense, and I know that the Braves pitching is very, very good. They threw Freed in game one, who is a fantastic ace caliber starter. He did an amazing job in that pitcher's duel. The Braves bullpen's very good. They stepped the heck up. And then Ian Anderson in game two, we, you know, I know we talked about it a lot going into it, Josh. We didn't know what he was going to do, this, this young rookie in, in this playoff situation, all that pressure. He stepped the hell up. And that's what you want out of a guy like that. The fact of the matter is, is this Reds lineup that has Joey Votto, A. Eugenio Suarez, Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, these kind of guys who are known, and I know the Reds were a little too home run dependent this year, but they're still guys who can get on base. They're still guys who can base hit you. They're still guys who can piece together runs, and they go out and they can't score a single freaking run in 22 innings. The first and only team in postseason history in Major League Baseball to play and go scoreless in at least two games, um, in, a, in a series that is at least two games long. It, it's flat out ridiculous, and I, and I point mostly to game one, where you had at least three or four different situations, and I think before the podcast, Bradley, you mentioned that there were ten opportunities, roughly. Runners in scoring position, less than two outs, and you can't bring a single one of those guys home. Two quicks, uh, and, it's the, and it's the base running blunders, too, that really get to me, because there was the one where they send Castellanos on a shallow ball hit to left field, and they send him around second to go to third base, and he gets gunned down by Duvall. Why would you do that? In a game that's already played out to this point, you know what's a pitcher's rule. You know runs are at a premium. Why would you take that chance? Why would you do that? Keep him at second, take the base runners, and manufacture those runs. Now you've just given yourself one less out to work with that you didn't need to, one less base runner to work with than you didn't need. And now, uh, and then later, you look at the first and third situation where they completely botched that. Aquino goofed on that whole send the runner to second and then take off the home thing. Like, that's a risky play. I'm okay with them trying it. But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to run it and fail, at least fail when you do it properly. All right? If you get beat by a good defensive, uh, uh, if, if the defense does their job and handles that perfectly, and you just get beat, you get beat. It's like throwing a really good pitch in the batter, putting a good swing on it. It happens. That's the sport. But don't get beat because you goofed and couldn't do the job properly. And that's what gets me with this team is they made too many mistakes. They couldn't capitalize on opportunities, and the Braves did what they were supposed to. They got opportunities, and they capitalized just a little bit more. So hats off to the Braves. They were the better team. They won. But it's just... I'm not frustrated that the Reds lost. Like obviously, I wanted the Reds to win, but it's the I'm disappointed that you have a lineup like that and they can't score a single run in 22 innings. And it's it's 
it's kind of similar to the Indians because the Indians would be my other disappointment in this too. Like those were two of the hottest teams coming into the playoffs, I would argue, and they both laid absolute eggs um, in their series. And it's not that they lost; it's just I expected so much better performances out of both of those teams based on the way that they were playing, especially the last week, week and a half, two weeks of the season entering the playoffs. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, and this is why I've always kind of said you really have to toss out the regular season, uh, just toss it out the door when the playoffs begin. Because you see instances like this where it's like guys that had been producing or guys that had been uh, coming together as a unit or teams that have been coming together as a unit, uh, you would think realistically with such a quick turnaround between the regular season and playoffs, they should just continue doing that. It's a different mentality in the postseason. And, and you saw it clearly exemplified in game one of the Reds and Braves where no one could get a run across because eventually teams are like, wow, like we should be doing this. And then when they don't, that pressure starts to mount up, especially in a three-game series. And I think it's 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 too bad. It's exciting for us fans, but as a, as a as a team, it's it's really too bad to see so much success over the course of a season come down to just literally, possibly one or two games, yeah. if not three. Um, and while it's great for us to watch, it's unfortunate for some of those teams because baseball is weird. You just have bad days. Yeah. Like it's it's not like the NFL and, and the NBA at times where the better team usually ends up winning. Baseball, you just see chaos because that's the way it is. That's why college baseball is always incredibly entertaining because you got one game or three games each series. Everyone has a bad day. It happens. So it, it, while it is too bad, I feel bad for you, Wyatt. I think you got to tip your cap to this team for yeah. what they did this season. I mean, the pitching staff, we talked about at the beginning of the year, was supposed to be great, and it was. Mm. So I think you got a lot going for you, and it is too bad. But, you know, they, they made the playoffs, and that's, that's awesome. Yeah, and, it, and it's <laughs> – it's like I said too. Like I'm as a Reds fan, I'm very pleased with the way this season played out. Like I'm very happy to have seen them make the playoffs. And I think, you know, not just me, but every Reds fan should be able to look at the season and say that's a successful season. You know, to make the moves you had this off season, this weird year, all everything going on, you make the playoffs and you see all of this amazing success from the pitching staff. That's everything you want to see. So you know you're doing pretty good there. Maybe just another couple pieces here or there to kind of really anchor it down. You know. And, um, but from a from a hitting standpoint, definitely needs to step it up. But still, you see the foundation, like I said, has been laid. Just got to build on that, let these younger guys get better with their more experience, continue to develop. And then in a couple years, I think this team could really be contending, legitimately contending, as long as they continue to build on this foundation well. So this year was successful. It's just the way it ended was very heartbreaking, not in that it ended in a loss in round one, but just because of the way that loss occurred for me. Um, just because I feel like they could have put up so much more of a fight than they did. Uh, so I'm going to give my analysis, mine as well. But like game one, uh, game one was super. Uh, no, I don't think anybody expected game one to go the way it did. 13 innings, no. 13 scoreless innings, or 12 scoreless innings, and then finally a run scored in the 13th. Like, uh, why? We watched like the first eight innings together. And we were just sitting there, and it was like nothing's hap- like nothing's budging, pretty much. Uh, the Reds had the Reds had the Braves on the ropes. I'm not gonna lie, in the game one, they kept getting guys on base. They kept getting guys in scoring position. I mean, they kept putting tense situations on that bullpen and on Max Fried and stuff like that. And uh, they made mental mistakes, just mental errors, uh, kept killing them in in game one. Game two, however, Wyatt, and I'm sorry, but I have to brag about this because I called it. Game two is exactly how I thought the first game was going to go. 
where it was just the starting pitchers going up against each other in a huge pitching duel, and then once we get to the bullpen, finally the Braves break out and do something, which is what happened. Uh, I mean, uh, Game 2 went exactly how I thought it would, but Game 1 was insane, and I hated every second of it. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Game 1, I think, goes down as probably one of the top baseball games of the season, I think. Um just because that game was incredible and regardless of like postseason or regular season, but especially because it was a postseason game one with everything going on. And that's the kind of loss that I think is really deflating. Um, And I don't know if that played into the performance in game two for the Reds at at all, if any. Um, And if it did, I guess that's understandable, but they still, you know, you, you just, you can't do that, but hats off, Josh. Congrats to the Braves. They were the better team, and you won. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about all you can say. Yeah, that's about all you can say. I'm ready for next year. And why? Trust me, dude. It, it, it is freeing being able to watch baseball and watch the playoffs with no yeah. dog in the fight. You get to just sit back and enjoy it, man. Trust me, I'm used to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I've been doing the, since 2013 anyway, so it's all, it's all good. Sweat. Yeah, before and before you lose to the Marlins. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Why? Now we can be huge Miami Marlins. <laughs> oh, let's go fish, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's get into this preview of the divisional series matchups. Go ahead and get into that, and we'll start in the American League with the Rays and the Yankees. Um, and before we get into all of this, I do think it's interesting to note uh, that of the eight matchups in the wild card round. Only one was a divisional matchup, that being the Rays-Blue Jays. All the other seven were of teams from different divisions, teams that had not played each other with this format so of the season this year, so they had no familiarity. It's the complete opposite here for this divisional series. All four matchups, teams from the same division. The Rays and the Yankees of the AL East, the Astros and A's of the West, the Dodgers and Padres of the West, and the Braves and Marlins of the East. Yeah, another tidbit, all seven central teams – accent in the in the first round <laughs> which is ooh, big oof big oof but these are all teams that are very familiar with each other all teams that have some um how should we put this history this year so i'll touch on that with each series and let's start with this Rays yankees one in which there was that scuffle earlier in the year um the yankees have kind of been complaining about the way the Rays have pitched them there have been uh Hit batters, almost hit batters. Like I said, there was the pitches clearing kerfuffle that we discussed a while back on this podcast. So these are two teams that are very familiar with each other and do not like each other in the slightest. Oh, not to mention the Rays have owned the Yankees all season long. So let's preview this series, guys. It's a best of five. Do the Rays continue their Yankees dominance or can the Yankees kind of get their revenge in this series? Let's start with you on this one, Josh. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, so most of the time when the Rays played the Yankees, the Rays had their number, as you said. I don't have the exact record on right in front of me, but uh, the the Rays have usually... The Yankees are getting frustrated with the Rays. We you discussed that. They had a kerfuffle earlier this year because they're just they're sick of the Rays. <laughs> they keep losing to the Rays for some reason. Uh, this Game 1 is really going to be a big... Uh, Big tone setter, in my opinion. If Garrett Cole can go out there and dominate and the Yankees' bats can do what they did in the first round, then uh, I don't. I find it hard to see the Rays winning, 
But that's the Yankees firing on all cylinders. That would be the Yankees that we expected from the beginning of the year. Um, which, like Bradley said earlier, regular season, you got to throw it out the window here. But uh, the Rays have consistently beaten the Yankees. They just have their number. So I think this goes to five games, honestly. And uh, it's going to be a coin toss, in my opinion. I think the Rays might be able to pull it out because they're just a better team. They were a better team this whole year. And they hopefully they can consistently just keep that going because I, I think they can beat the Yankees in five games. Yeah, it's going to be a great series for many reasons. I mean, obviously, the, the familiarity uh, will definitely play a factor. These teams know each other real well. Uh, the, the Rays simply just have the Yankees number this year, and I think it's that's definitely going to play. I know we can't really you know include the regular season in the way that we approach this, but I do think that plays a tremendous factor. The Yankees are playing probably the best they've played all year, you could say, uh, with the way they closed the regular season, and then they finished off the Indians. Um, the key is obviously just going to be, can the hitting keep up? I mean, we saw, obviously, the, the Yankees top to bottom were producing. Um, you know, Garrett Cole did what he needed to do in game one. I don't anticipate that changing uh, in this series at all. But uh, the Rays simply, again, just the bullpen was clicking all year. And that, that I think, was the huge advantage that they had on most teams is that as long as their starters were producing the way that they were, they could shut teams down from the sixth inning on. And I think that is going to be the hugest um, thing to be watching here is if the Yankees can score early. Because if they can't, we've seen the Rays can just strangle you from the you know second half of the game on. And if that continues, you're going to put a lot of pressure on the Yankees' young hitters and even some of their old hitters to, to produce, not get hurt, and to stay hot the way they have. Um, I think that third game, uh, the first two games, I envision will probably split. I can't imagine one team gets up to a 2 nothing series lead. That third game gets interesting because you've got Jay Happ on the Yankees' side. Both these teams swept, so they haven't really played a third game in the playoffs yet. Jay Happ on the Yankees' side, and then the Rays will probably end up going with their bullpen a lot for the rest of the series after they pitch Glass now and Snell. So I'm interested to see. If that you know technique holds up for Tampa, if they can go with that kind of you know by committee pitching staff where a guy goes in for two to three innings and they keep switching, uh, if that's the case, and we've seen so far in the playoffs, it gets to that point a lot. I give the advantage to Tampa Bay, and I think pitching pitching here is how I was going to predict this series, whether it was the Rays or you know the Indians um, facing them. So I think in this case, I'd give the advantage to Tampa on the pitching side. And I don't see the Yankees hitting, keeping up for for seven game or for five games potentially. Uh, it was just so sporadic all year. It just happened to be clicking against Cleveland. Um, so I'm going to go with Tampa. I think it's going to be a great series, though. Yeah, Real and I'm quick. glad you brought up. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. Real quick, I found the record. So uh, they played ten times this year, and the Rays have won eight of them. Oof. Sounds right. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That is what we call dominance for all you kids at home. Um, yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned the the pitching, Bradley, because, uh, spoiler alert, that's, that's going to be something I'm going to be harping on with all four of these series. Um, I know you all know I love my pitching. Um, and, and, yeah, just when it comes down to the pitching depth, the Rays have more. The Rays have had one of the best bullpens, top to bottom all year, rivaled mostly by the A's um, in the American League. So uh, when it comes down to it, and that's not to say the Yankees don't have a good bullpen, because they do, but the Rays – Bullpen has performed better, and it's deeper. It's 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 deeper from top to bottom. The Rays have had their dominance over the Yankees, and I know this Yankees team wants some comeuppets. They they got something to prove, but like you mentioned, Bradley, that their hitting is a little too sporadic. I think good pitching beats good hitting nine times out of ten, 
and the Yankees have that lineup, and we talk about it a lot, it's that we're gonna we're gonna hit you with power, but we're also gonna strike out a lot. And that power is great in like when it's working in single game situations. But when I think you get into a series like this, a, a five game series where you got to take three games uh, against your opponent. You might be able to snag a game or two like that, but you're not going to be able to win a whole series against a team that's got that good of pitching um, by trying this whole we're going to hit it deep or strike out kind of offense, that hit it double in the gap or strike out kind of offense. You know, that three true outcomes is not going to help you in a series like this against good pitching like that. Now, I do agree that Snell-Cole um, matchup in game one should be one for the ages. I think it's one that should play out kind of more of what we expected the Bieber-Cole matchup to have been in the Indian series, uh, one that's maybe similar to what we saw with Bauer versus Freed, except maybe not 13 innings. But I think when it comes down to the bullpen, the Rays take the advantage with the pitching depth, and I think that's what decides this series. Yeah, and you referenced the, the fact that the Yankees struck out a lot, and you got three guys in Tampa that would start games one, two, and three that all strike guys out. Mm-hmm. Blake Snell, Tyler Glass, now Charlie Morton, all can get guys out via the strikeout. And I think, you know, like you said, that's gonna that's not going to be able to, you know, be consistently um, something the Yankees can count on is just keep hitting deep balls because they're going to be facing guys that are throwing hard, trying to get it by them, and they can mix up really good off-speeds too. So I think the, rate, the, the Yankees hitters, not only are they going to be probably struggling to to get some production, but they're going to be on the, their heels. I mean, they're going to have a lot of guys bringing a lot of different uh, different options. And this is a team in the Rays that are so unconventional that started, what, nine guys from the left side mm-hmm. at some point this year or something like that? So I mean, the team obviously knows what they're doing. They know who they are. And then they've just done such a good job about picking other teams apart at their weaknesses. The Yankees have some glaring weaknesses that we've established, and I think that's only going to be you know exemplified. I think a big thing about the series is going to be to see how uh, Tanaka pitches because he pitched terrible in the wild card round against the Indians. Yeah. He gave up six runs and stuff like that. Uh, so it's good. he needs to step up because uh, Yankees starting pitching. I mean, you got Garrett Cole and Tanaka. He was solid throughout the whole year, but Ta- Tanaka needs to pick it up if the Yankees have any chance of making this into a five game series. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, uh, I think this has the potential to be one of the better series for sure, depending on how it plays out. Uh, let's move on now to the Astros and the A's. Um, once again, two teams that have bad blood this year. Uh, they also had a benches clearing kerfuffle, as we uh, noted previously on this podcast, that led to uh, an Astros coach getting suspended for half the season. Um, good old 30-game suspension. We love to see stuff like that. So... Definitely bad blood between these two teams. Very familiar with one another. Do not like each other. And uh, we go from one of the most hated teams historically in the Yankees to the current most hated team in the Astros based on their cheating uh, scandal from uh, uh, recently. So, guys, can the A's continue to get some lovable Moneyball success or does the Death Star of the Astros continue to rise again? Let's start with you, Bradley. I, yeah, I think this is going to be a really interesting series. I mean, the, the season series was 7-3 Oakland, so they obviously know each other well. Uh, you know, the, the first thing you think about when it comes to the tension is you got Mike Fires on Oakland's side. Uh, you know, obviously the, the guy that called out the uh, the Astros for all their sign-stealing antics. Um, so that's going to be an interesting little matchup there. But, um, yeah, I, I'm curious because I think – we can all agree that the Astros kind of just got it really easy with the way that the Twins just didn't come to play. Uh, it's not, I mean, the Astros obviously deserved to win the series, but it's not like they played exceptional or if another team at least 
showed up, they'd at least make it more of a series. Um, and I think you know the fact that the that the A's survived that series against the White Sox. I mean, that was a that was a grueling series. You saw the the pitching that had to be done to just survive to get to the next round in that series. Um, they worked a lot of guys, and a lot of guys already got experience in this beginning of this postseason. So I think that's going to help them going forward. Um, the starting pitching depth, I think, for the Astros is going to be a real, real uh, big difficulty. Uh, obviously, you've got um, Cranky to start things off, but uh, the rest of the way, it's it's a big question mark. Unless unless the bullpen really comes to play, you're putting a lot of pressure on guys. Uh, Framer Valdez, uh, Lance McCullers, just to name a few of them. Uh, that's a lot of pressure on those guys. And I think the A's have just been more consistent this year. Uh, they dominated this division, and you know, the Astros were lucky to kind of get by that first round with such an easy, easy series. Um, I see the A's winning this I think relatively easily. Again, I could be wrong. The Astros have surprised us so far, but I see them kind of getting past the series pretty easily. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be an interesting series because this is not unlike all the other series, which I feel like every other series has kind of like pretty great pitching matchups. This one's not really going to be full on great pitching matchups. This is legit just going to come down to who can score runs which I think the Athletics can score way more runs than the Astros can. Um, just to keep up with the trend, since these are all divisional series, uh, Oakland has a 7-3. They're 7-3 against the Astros this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, after Granke, I mean, Granke's got to pitch more than four innings if, if, he's gonna get, if the Astros are going to have any chance at subduing this offense. I mean, this is not the Minnesota Twins you're playing here. This is not postseason Minnesota Twins you're playing here. Uh, they came the the athletics. They could be tired, I guess, but I mean they ha- they're having this nice little weekend off because of traveling to the bubble site and stuff like that. But they they played a tough series against the White Sox, which I think the, that challenged them way more than the Astros were challenged by the Twins, in my opinion. So I think I think athletics come out of this either in a sweep or in four games. Yeah, and I I kind of like that you brought up that White Sox series because when you did it, it it, it kind of made me think of it too, like. Because I was sitting here thinking that maybe the Astros are coming in with uh, a little more momentum uh, because of that sweep over the Twins. But at the same time, if you're the A's, like you mentioned, you just got a much tougher, stiffer competition. And if anything, you're more fired up because of that, especially after I believe they lost game one, right? So they had to then fight fight back and win the last two games at home. And that that really lights a fire under you as well. Um but like, like with the Rays-Yankee series, I'm going to go with the A's because they have the pitching depth. And, you know, I mentioned it with the Rays. The Rays, I said, have uh, had one of the best bullpens in the American League all year, rivaled really only by that of the A's. And an A's bullpen that is anchored by one Liam Hendricks, the Aussie himself. I love that man. He is not the kind of guy you want to see coming out of the bullpen to close out a game against you, especially if you're the Astros who have not been able to get anything going against the A's or Hendricks all season long, and especially not um, when you've had the offensive struggles that that team has had all season. This is an A's lineup. This is an A's team that gets overlooked easily, but I don't think it's one that the Astros should overlook, and I don't think that they will. I just think that they're going to get overpowered by better pitching. And another thing to mention as well, like like you mentioned, like Bradley's got to uh, um, Granky's got to go. Um, Longer than four innings. They're going to need their other guys to step up. And they're also missing Justin Verlander, um, who, when you look at their past few years in the postseason, they had a lot of the uh, success that they had because of Justin Verlander on the bump. He was a guy who led them 
on the bump a lot. And taking him away, we saw this year hurt a lot. And I think especially now that we're getting deeper into the postseason and the pitching becomes even more important with every passing series, every passing game, missing a guy like Verlander and putting all the more pressure on a guy like Granke, on a guy like McCullers, and having them try to step up and, and bear the load of, of missing that whole guy, I think is going to be too much to ask from uh, this team, especially going up against the A squad, who is packed to the brim with great pitching. Yeah, and remember, this is an A squad that also had, a, like you said, great pitching staff, had like the fifth best ERA, I think, in baseball this year. Uh, and they really relied a lot on that bullpen. Um, you know, this is a team that won, it said here, 11 games uh, that they trailed at the beginning of the fifth inning or later. So it's a scrappy bunch. And, and it's a team that basically says, all right, let's just get our starters out there for as long as they can go. And eventually our team will catch up and find a reliever they can they can bounce on and just hope our bullpen holds up. And it's worked out so far greatly. So that's, a, that's the kind of stat and the kind of team you build up you want to see in the playoffs. And I think on a team that has a lot of holes and, like we said, like, you know, top to bottom, the Astros have not played as well as they usually have at each individual position. And I think that's just going to be exposed a lot in this series. Yeah, I'm trying to look and see the uh, ERA, actually, um, when you look at it for the whole staff in the American League. Just a little tidbit I want to point out. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays, 356 ERA. At second place in the in the American League, and the Athletics were 377 at fourth place. So two of the top five teams in um, uh, in the American League, um, and I think let me double check too. In all of Major League Baseball in the ERA department, yeah, yeah, three and five in all of Major League Baseball. The Dodgers is what bumps bumps them down that one spot. So when you talk about pitching, those two teams, they've got it, and um, that's really going to be a major factor, I think, in both of those series. Uh, but let's move forward now to the National League. And speaking of said Dodgers, they've got a date with the Padres. These teams, as always, familiar with one another. I believe the Dodgers um, won the season series 6-4, to four, if I remember correctly, because I had that number last week. But the yes, Padres coming correct. off of their series. Okay, yeah. The Padres coming off of their series, uh, three games against the Cardinals, scrapping together those last two wins. And the Dodgers looking to continue their dominance after a sweep of the poor, poor Brewers. Um, do the Dodgers continue to be the Dodgers, or can the Padres continue the Cinderella run we're seeing uh, with their young guns? Josh, start us off. Well, I really want the series to be really good because I feel like this has the potential to be a really good series. But I just don't see it without Clevenger or Lamette, which they still have a chance at playing. But without those guys, I just don't see the Padres overcoming the Dodgers but then the superstition side of me says the Dodgers always screw up in the playoffs at some point and if they're going to do it the Padres are probably the team to do it uh because the pot I mean they're six six and four series record I mean it's been pretty even that's probably the most even uh series record between every every team that are playing in the playoffs now uh but uh I mean Dodgers pitching you got Kershaw he pitched a magnificent game in his playoff game and you got you got Walker Buehler, you got Urias, you got Dustin May. I mean, the, they have the pitching depth that we've been talking about harping on this whole series. Meanwhile, the Padres are kind of limping into this with their starting pitching. No Lament, no Clevenger. That's going to be tough. I mean, Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Cronenworth, like these guys have been, they've been mashed against the Cardinals. But uh, I think the Dodgers have just slightly a better staff than the Cardinals do. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a sweep. But uh, I don't think it's going to be that close, in my opinion. I think the Dodgers kind of 
clean this up and get it pretty easily, in my opinion. Yeah, it is awesome that you get here the top two teams record-wise in the NL uh, paired against one another, uh, two very familiar teams with each other, and uh, big star power. That That's going to be the huge draw to watching these, uh, these two teams play is you've got teams that rely a lot on some big names. Uh, we saw with the Padres, you know, I think it was game, it might have been game two or – uh, Tatis and Machado both hit home runs to make it 6-6 against the Cardinals. Um, that's what you want to see, and, and you hope that's sustainable. You hope that they can turn that back on at some point during the series. But having to rely on a couple guys usually does not lead to long-term sustainable success in a series, especially with an uphill battle against L.A. I think you're right, Josh. If we saw Clevenger and Lamette, you know, both pitching the wild card, um, I think I'd have a lot better feeling about picking the Padres. The fact they'd be coming off of injury means one of two things. They're either going to be super fresh or they're not going to be ready for such a big-time you know, ask as, uh, as it is going against L.A. So I think just too much star power. I mean, Bueller, I think Walker Bueller has a blister, they were saying on here, so that could potentially you know bug him a little bit. But other than that, there's really no holes in this Dodgers team. I mean, the only – I think the only real time frame that the, the Potters would have to start scoring runs would be between like innings six through eight, possibly after starters and before Kenley Jansen. But that's a very small window, and you're asking a lot out of a young team that was barely able to get by the Cardinals. So I think it's going to be probably what we all think, unfortunately, is going to happen if the Dodgers end up winning. Yeah, and I got to agree. I know if we look back to last week and my original predictions, I predicted the Dodgers-Padres matchup, and I predicted the Padres, but I'm going to go back on that. I am retracting, and I am defecting to the Dodgers on this one because especially with the way things have played out. We talk about the pitching depth. The Dodgers have more. We talk about coming into this series um, fresh. The Dodgers came in off a sweep, a pretty easy sweep at that against the Brewers, and the Padres had to fight for their lives against the Cardinals team, and we saw what had to happen in Game 3, the nine pitchers, so they're not coming in the freshest, whereas a lot of those Dodgers pitchers are coming in pretty fresh. Um, no no work on the arms right now, and the Padres, you know, if Clevenger comes back, that's huge. If that does, that does help a lot. But like, like, like it was mentioned, like, do you get a fresh Clevenger, or do you get a kind of got to work back into it, not 100% Clevenger? You know, and the same could be said for Lamette if and when he returns as well. So I think, I just think when it comes down to it, the Dodgers are checking more for the boxes. They've got more depth. They're coming in hotter. They're coming in fresher. And just top to bottom, they're a deeper, better team. Um, and I don't think this is the last we're seeing of the Padres. And if anything, this is telling us that the Padres are here to stay for a long, long time. And they're only going to get better because this is a very young team with guys like. Um, Tatis and Cronenworth, these young guns leading the way, but I just as much as I'd love to see the Padres pull this out and as much as playoff Dodgers is a thing, and it could very well happen against this team I just I just think that there's too much of a difference right now especially with the arms that the Padres are missing and how, how much, like Josh said, they're limping into this series I think that's too much to ask I think for the Padres to pull off this upset they have to sweep because of their lack of depth. I think if they can somehow pull off a sweep, that's their only chance at winning. But if the Dodgers take one game and force a fourth, that's it. It's over. Yeah, the Padres average, I think it says right here, three and a half runs a game against the Dodgers this year. Hit 224, and that's compared to hitting 257 against everybody else. So they're just not scoring enough. And against a team like like LA, that's just got so much pitching. I mean, 
they've literally got a number one or two starter for every single game of the series, even if it goes five games. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to get to at least one or two of those guys, and that's already a tall order. So, yeah, I, I don't see them winning three games. I, I just don't see how you could possibly draw it up where they could get there. And now we move on to the final series of this divisional series, and it is the Braves and the Marlins. As we've talked about, this Braves team fresh off of their sweep of the Reds. The Marlins fresh off of their sweep of the Cubs. Two teams that are familiar with each other, playing a lot this season um, in the in the East. The uh, Braves having that 29-9 uh, win over the Marlins at one point this year. Um, teams that probably aren't the happiest with each other. But we must keep in mind this is playoffs Marlins. So guys, can the Braves continue their newfound playoff success or will the uh, playoff curse of Atlanta strike again and or playoff Marlins strike again? We must keep in mind they've never lost a series in the playoffs. Does that happen here? Josh, we'll save this for last. I want to hear from Bradley first. Man, I'm torn on this. I'm not going to lie. I, I really want to see the Marlins continue it. Um, I have zero reason to doubt them this point forward unless they play the Dodgers in the next round. Um, but the fact they were able to get past the Cubs, I, I, that says a lot about a team that's – Nobody even expected to be here to begin with. I mean, to, to not only get past Darvish, to have a day off when they were supposed to play and then come back and play again and end up winning, I mean, that says a lot about a young team like that. I mean, you, you i got to be honest, like you could probably pull 99% of baseball fans and they can't name five players in Miami Marlins. I'm probably one of those. Um, I, I, I'm really torn here. I, the key to the series is going to be can the Braves recreate the pitching magic they have from the first two games against the Reds because obviously Freed and Anderson are going to have to be great again um but this is a five-game series and we don't have a clue how it could go from then on out so the, the big questions are going to be are the bullpen still in good shape the Marlins bullpen was extremely surprising against the Cubs I mean, they shut Chicago down um and I think if the Braves have any hope of uh, winning this series, I think the bats are obviously going to have to show up more, and they're not going to be able to strike out as much as they did against the uh, the Reds. I mean, the Reds literally were carving them up in both the games. So um, I'm, I'm probably going to take the safe pick and just go with Atlanta just because I was proven wrong the first time I went with uh, a team they were facing. Uh, but I would not be shocked at all if the Marlins end up winning. I think this series will probably end up going five games just because it's the way it'll probably end up. You could see a 29-9 game and then a one nothing 15th inning game yeah. next game. So. I'll, I'll probably go Atlanta. I just think that the star power, they just have a lot of production that if it if they start to play well, uh, could be a lot for Miami to overcome. Uh, but I would not be shocked if the Marlins got in the Braves' head and pushed it to five games. I, like you, Bradley, am very torn on this series because on the one hand, the Braves are a much more experienced team. They're a much better team. They're a deeper team. That lineup matched up against the Marlins' lineup is better. Their pitching staffs arguably are better. The Braves are fresh off of a sweep as well. So, I mean, that kind of offsets. Um, It's just, like, you could argue that the Braves don't come in quite as fresh because of that 13-inning game and the fact that they had to use so many arms in their bullpen and the Marlins kind of got a little bit of an easier... They didn't have to use quite as many guys, but, you know, which team's coming in quite hotter? I don't know. The Braves have done so much better against the Marlins this year. Ah... I don't know. It's it's tough. I I think I am going to pick the Marlins, actually, 
because I didn't pick postseason Dodgers to happen this round, so postseason Atlanta has to happen this round, right? And screw it, let's stick with the meme. The Marlins get number eight. They're they're gonna they're gonna win series number eight. Why not? But this is one like this series more than the other four is a true coin flip because you could really argue it could go either way. And I never thought I'd be saying that about the Marlins this year, but here we are. So, Josh, resident Braves fan, what do you got? Well, uh, it's kind of the same as the series against the Reds. It really comes down to that game three, in my opinion, because I'm not – game one, you got Max Freed uh, against probably uh, Sixto Sanchez, whoever. I mean, th- this is the perfect series if you like young pitching because both teams have young pitchers that have never played in the playoffs before and stuff like that. Uh, so it- it's going to be very interesting. I mean, you got 21-year-old Sixto Sanchez against um, – Let's see. I'm blanking. Max Fried's like 26. Ian Anderson's 22. But then you got Pablo Sanchez, who's 24. Sandy Alcantara, he's 24. Like, you got young pitching out the wazoo here. None of these guys played in the playoffs before. So, this is the interesting matchup here because both teams are kind of in the same boat where they have great pitching for the one and two guys, but then it kind of drops off after that. The Marlins kind of have a slight advantage in starting pitching just because, uh, their third guy, which is either Sandy or Pablo Lopez, those guys, those guys are pretty solid. Um, but uh, I think game one, I mean, the Marlins lineup doesn't scare me as much as the Reds did. So I, I think game one, I mean, they'll probably get a couple of runs in. The Marlins are just one of those teams where, like, I hate to play them every year for some reason. Like, they're always in the bottom of the division, but they're usually competitive. Which is very rare. Like, I know that's, like, a strange thing to say, but as a person who watches the Braves and the NL East all the time, the Marlins always give everybody fits, no matter how bad they are. Back back when they had Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna all on the same team. Like, the, the, this is a team that people don't like to play, usually. And they're going to take that into the playoffs. It's going to be a very annoying team to play. Like Bradley said, I mean, this is going to come down to re- whether or not the Braves' bats can actually produce in this series. You can't go... Uh, 12 innings without scoring against the Marlins because the Marlins will get... I mean, they have guys that can get a run off of you. Like, it, it might not seem like it, but they do. G- Jesus Aguilar, I mean, Miguel Rojas, Corey Dickerson has got got a little bit. A big thing about this as well is going to be Starling Marte, whether or not his uh, broken pinky is fully healed. Well, not it's not going to be fully healed, but like whether he's good enough to actually play well. That's going to be a big thing to look for. Um, I think this is going to go five games. It's going to go the full length because, like I said, once we get to game three, it is just I, the Braves are going to pitch Kyle Wright. They already announced they're going to pitch Kyle Wright for game three, uh, which he had a great towards the end of the year. But it's going to be like Kyle Wright against, like I said, either Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, one of those guys. And those guys are just better than Kyle Wright, in my opinion. Uh, it's going to be game two is going to be interesting because can Ian Anderson continue that dominance that he had against the Reds against the Marlins? Um, I'm not particularly afraid of the Braves hitting, just because the Braves hitting did so well against the Marlins all throughout the season. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be an interesting matchup. I'm going Braves in five. In case you were wondering, I know I kind of went in a bunch of circles right there, but I got Braves in five. Yeah, I think. I don't know. This one, I think, is definitely going the distance. I agree with you there. It's just, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen because it's like, like you said, with the pitching, like, once you get past the first two starters, things really get kind of uh, unknown. It's, it's a little bit of an enigma. And, and both of the, like, 
you know what you're getting more out of the Braves, but the Marlins are such an enigma as well, like as a, as a collective whole, uh, as just as a team, because of that lack of experience, and we just really don't know what to expect from this team. Like, they came, they're fresh off of a big upset against the Cubs. It's like, was that luck, or were they good enough? Like, we, we don't know. So this, I think, has the potential to low-key actually be the best series of these four, actually. Just if because of the fact that it's it's so like even and that we just don't know what to expect or what's going to happen from either side. Yeah, the key is literally going to be can the Marlins recreate what the Reds did on the pitching side and can they not recreate what they did on the hitting yeah. side? That's literally going to be the definition <laughs> of the series. <laughs> I hate to bring that up again, but it's true. I mean, you're not wrong, Chief. <laughs> you are not wrong. So these matchups, they start tomorrow with the American, or they start on Monday with the American League. Tuesday, the National League gets going, and for each of them, it's three to five straight days, depending on the series lengths. Um, so a full, fun week of baseball, uh, and that's all we've got today, guys. Any last parting thoughts uh, before we get out of here? We're not going to fully turn the triple play, but any any uh, any of y'all got anything to add before we go? Well, the Braves have some company, Wyatt. Let me, get, let me tell you guys right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Will Myers are the second pair of teammates in postseason history to each have two home runs in the same game. They join Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig as the only other two teammates. So the Braves have some company here in the Better Than Babe Ruth Club. Gosh, Babe Ruth always makes an appearance on this show, doesn't he? It's <laughs> literally ridiculous. You know, I the moment Josh started talking, I realized my mistake because uh, I, I gave him a perfect opportunity to continue this whole thing. Um, this whole better than Babe Ruth charade. Look, man, 88 yeah. years. 88 years between those two. I mean, this is not something that just kind of happens. You don't just fall on this. What's most impressive is Will Myers literally doesn't even wear batting gloves either, no. which I think is actually kind of hilarious. <laughs> you know who else didn't um, wear batting gloves? Oh, my God. <laughs> Josh Strickland? No, I wore batting gloves. My, my hands hurt. Uh, Babe Ruth. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew that. I knew what the answer yeah. was. I just wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> gosh my my parting words i guess is just that i'm very excited to see chaos ensue because i think we can all pretty much agree that out of all these four series we would not be shocked if any team that we didn't pick won. like i could absolutely see each team winning maybe even the world series at this point which is the way that things have worked Mm -hmm. out and i don't don't know if y'all are the same way but i I fully expect Major League Baseball to install something like this in the future as well because this has been so exciting to watch. Having eight games in one day was awesome. Yeah, it definitely makes you wonder the future of this format, and I think at the very least they'll look to keep it for next year just to kind of see how it plays out on a full season. We'll see. But I agree with you, Bradley. I think you can't look at any of these series and definitively say it's going to be this team. Like, And you can't, you can't pick out any of these eight teams and say they don't have a chance. Even the Marlins. For all the crap we give them and for everything we say and that they have that they shouldn't be here. And I know we make the jokes that, like, well, every time the Marlins make the playoffs, they win the World Series. But, like, for fear of keeping that theme alive, like, this is a team that when we talk about teams that just get hot at the right time and make an improbable run, this is one of those Marlins teams that's kind of what you'd expect one of those teams to be. It's reminiscent of that kind of 2003 Marlins team that kind of just accidentally walked into a World Series championship because that's literally what they did. And this, not saying it's going to happen, but I'm just saying if it did, 
it's po- like it's it's possible. You can't completely rule it out. Yeah, they literally had bottom feeders shirts when they beat the Cubs, which I think is the ultimate flex. <laughs> they 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 know what they're about. They're steering directly into it, and I love and respect it. I'm I'm all aboard the Marlins train. <laughs> Not just because they're playing the Braves, but honestly, that, like I that definitely plays a factor. I'm just gonna admit my ideal CS matchups are Rays A's and Padres Marlins, just because these are the teams that like just don't have success, and they get joked on a lot. And I just want to see one of these teams finally get some success, especially against the big boys of the Yankees, of the recent success of the Astros, the Dodgers, and, I mean, the Braves not so much because of their recent history, but that's a team that they, you know, they're still a historic team, much more than you could argue the Marlins, Padres, or Rays, even the A's to some extent. Besides the last 20 years, the Braves have a good history of making it at least to the semifinals or the yeah. CS. So, just want to throw that out so, there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but a lot of great baseball coming up this week, so y'all uh, please go enjoy. Once again, thanks to Josh and Bradley for being on this podcast and making it so amazing and enjoyable to listen to because if it was just me, nobody would. So, Thanks, guys, and thanks to all of you for listening. Enjoy the baseball this week, and we'll be right back next week with yet another Triple Play podcast to break down all of this and to look forward to our CS matchups. So we'll see you next time as we turn yet another Triple Play.